Welcome to the Forgiven Radio Broadcast, a ministry of Northeast Baptist Church of Danbury. We're honored to share with you a message from God's Word that is sure to be a help and a blessing. Here's our pastor, Joe Vasek. If you were to visit a Bible-believing church a few times, there are a couple of words that you would hear used pretty regularly. In fact, if you listen to this program regularly, you hear those same two words again and again. The words I'm referring to are the words saved and salvation. Well, there's a good reason that we use these words often, and that's that the words saved and salvation are used quite a bit in the Bible. Let me give you a few examples. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4 verse 12. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Acts 16 verse 31. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans 10, verse 9. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 13. By grace are ye saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 8. And I could go on for another hour easily. The great message of the Bible is the message of salvation. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so that we could be saved from the consequences of our sins. This is not just some message that has been concocted in the last few years or the last few decades or the last few hundred years. This has been the message of the Christian faith around the world for the last 2,000 years since Jesus died and rose again. And for 4,000 years before Jesus died and rose again, salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was foretold by the prophets. In fact, from the moment that man sinned in the Garden of Eden, shortly after creation, God promised to send a Savior who would save us from the consequences of our sins. The greatest thing going on in the world today, and the greatest thing that has ever gone on in this world throughout its history, has nothing to do with politics, or industry, or commerce, or war, or inventions, or discoveries, or sports, or art, or entertainment. No, the greatest thing that has continuously gone on throughout the history of the human race has been the salvation of human souls one person at a time. The salvation of a human soul is the thing that is dearest to the heart of God. God wants to forgive the sins of every human being. God wants to give eternal life to every human being. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for the permission of each human being. God has given every human being the freedom to choose. He won't push his salvation on anyone. God won't force you to be forgiven of your sins. He won't force you to enjoy heaven forever. He won't make you be delivered from eternal damnation. He insists that you choose it for yourself. The salvation of a human soul is the thing that is dearest to the heart of God. Every message that I bring to you on this radio broadcast includes an emphasis on God's simple plan of salvation by God's grace through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins. For a few minutes today, we're going to look into that salvation in a little bit more detail than usual. We're going to see from the Bible what God did, what he is doing right now, 
and what he is going to do in the life of every person who receives God's gift of salvation. If you've already made the choice to be saved, I hope by the time we're done today that you'll have a greater understanding and a greater joy in what God is doing in your life. If you haven't yet made the choice to be saved, I hope that what you hear today will make you want to choose to be saved this very day. As you read about God's great work of salvation in the Bible, you see that it's a work that he carries out in three great stages. Now, wait a second. Getting saved happens immediately. The moment you admit that you have sinned against God and you turn to Jesus Christ for your salvation, that very moment, God forgives your sins. You become a child of God. The Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. Your name is written in the book of life in heaven, and you receive eternal life that very moment. Not gradually, but immediately. Make no mistake about that. The saving of your soul happens instantaneously. But there are works that God does in the life of every person who gets saved, and those works are all a part of your salvation. These works that God does for every saved person, every believer, every born-again Christian, they happen in three great stages. And though these works are very detailed and comprehensive, they can be summarized in three words. These three words sum up God's great work of salvation as described to us in the Bible. These three words are justification, sanctification, and glorification. This is what God does for every person who puts his or her faith in Jesus Christ. And he does these things in that precise order. First, justification, then sanctification, and in the end, glorification. Now, sometimes when we hear words like these and we don't exactly know what they're all about, right away we tune them out, we put them in the religion category, and we decide, well, that doesn't have anything to do with my life. That's not going to put any money in my pocket. That's not going to help my marriage or my family. That has no direct relevance to my life. And that's a mistake. Here's an important thing to remember. If our all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving creator and redeemer says that something is important, it's a good idea for you and me to believe it's important. One reason we don't enjoy the great blessings of God in our lives like we want to is that we think we know better than God. God stresses to us that something matters, and we say, no, nah, I don't really think it does. And the Bible is clear that God's great work of salvation in the lives of human beings, broken down into three parts, justification, sanctification, and glorification, this great work of God is of supreme importance. I want to know everything I can about what God is doing, and if God wants me to be a part of it, I definitely want in on it. Let me talk first collectively about these three great works of God in the life of the believer, and let me talk about them for the sake of clarity as if you have already been saved. Now, if you haven't been saved yet, you can make that choice in just a minute, and I'll tell you exactly how to do it. But for the sake of our discussion right now, I'm going to talk as if you've already made the choice to be saved. Okay, so you've been saved. You've made Jesus Christ your Savior by faith. That means that God has done, is doing, and will do these three great works as part of your salvation. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification is already done. It happened immediately. Sanctification is an ongoing work. It's happening every day of your life. Glorification will happen in the future. So let's say it this way. God has justified you, he is sanctifying you, and he will glorify you. Justification is all done. Sanctification is in process. Glorification is what awaits us. 
Justification took care of the legal details of your salvation. Sanctification is preparing you to see God. Glorification will transition you from temporal life on earth to eternal life in heaven. So let's talk about each of these parts of God's work of salvation individually in the order that God does them. First, the work of justification. I said a minute ago that justification took care of the legal details of your salvation. And maybe you said, what in the world does salvation have to do with laws or the legal system? Well, we're not talking about any laws or legal systems created or operated by human beings. God has a legal system that is infinitely more significant than anything we have here on earth. God is the ultimate judge. Psalm 9 verse 8 says, The Lord shall judge the world in righteousness. God's legislation is flawless. God's jurisdiction is the universe. God's courtroom is his creation. God judges with infallible justice, and God's verdicts are righteous, his sentences are eternal. God is the ultimate judge, and his justice system is the most important and the most relevant authority that every human being must deal with. Under God's system of justice, every member of the human race is guilty from the moment that we understand God's laws and choose to reject them. Before that time, we're in a state of innocence. But there comes a moment in the life of every human being when we instinctively understand what God says is right and wrong, and we consciously choose to do wrong. The Apostle Paul describes this when he says in Romans 7, verse 9, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. We're all born in a state of innocence, but there comes a time for every one of us when we understand right and wrong and we consciously choose to do wrong that first time. We consciously choose to tell that lie, to disobey our parents, to take God's name in vain, to hate, to lust, to steal, whatever it was. From that moment on, we are sinners in God's sight. We have condemned ourselves to the penalty of sin, which is eternal damnation. From that moment on, all of our sins, all of our offenses are recorded against us, and we will face them again someday when we stand before the judge of the universe, Almighty God, and we will be found guilty and we will be sentenced to eternity in the lake of fire. Why? Because when we chose sin, we also chose the death that always accompanies sin. So what can we do about it? Well, we can do nothing, but God already did it all for us. God became a man in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ never sinned. Thus, he was never sentenced to die for his sins. Jesus volunteered to die for the sins of every human being. He became sin for us. When Jesus Christ was crucified, that was God taking our sentence, dying in our place. After he died, he was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead. And just as every one of us chose to sin against God that very first time, every one of us must now choose to accept Jesus' death and resurrection for our sin in order to be forgiven. And the moment we choose Jesus, we are completely justified. Our record is wiped clean. We will certainly sin again because we're weak. But our sins will never be charged against us again. We are completely and forever made right in the eyes of the eternal judge. That is justification. Justification is a change in a person's standing before God. 
Justification puts the sinner in the condition before God as if he had never sinned at all. If you're saved, your justification is complete. It is done. That is justification. That is the work of God in the believer's life that was done by God in the past. Now let's talk about that second part of God's work of salvation, and that is sanctification. As soon as God justified you, he immediately began the work of sanctification in your life. And he's been doing that work of sanctification every day since then. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the process of God making you more like Jesus Christ. That may not sound like a big deal, but the fact is the most productive, the most fulfilling, and the most eternally rewarding thing that could ever happen to you would be for you to be made like Jesus Christ in your thinking, in your character, in your attitudes, in your lifestyle. God wants to replace the hate, the depression, the strife, the hot temper, the lust, the bitterness with love and joy and peace, with patience and contentment and wisdom. God wants you to be ready to meet him ready to become a citizen of heaven. Heaven is a real place. It's a place that is more amazing and more wonderful than anything you could ever imagine. And the moment we arrive, we're going to wish that we had done more to prepare. The Bible warns us in Hebrews 12, verse 14, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. You're not ready to meet God until God makes you holy, set apart to himself. And sanctification is God's process of making you holy holy, ready to see God. I'll say it again. This doesn't sound very important to most people right now, unfortunately, not even to many professing believers. But I beg you to understand, it will matter to you when you arrive in your eternal home. I have a preacher friend who tells a story about the very first time he ever went to Disneyland. He was a school teacher. He was living and working in California probably 20, 25 years ago, and he had never been to Disneyland. Well, their school was taking a group of students to Disneyland on a field trip, and they needed a bus driver. My friend had his CDL, so they said, if you'll drive the bus for us, we'll pay for you to get into Disneyland. He said, sure, I'll drive the bus. But somebody who heard that my friend was going to Disneyland and who knew that he was a school teacher who didn't have a lot of money, they told him, hey, once you get through the gates, everything inside is free. My friend thought, well, great. I'm going to go and have a great time. Well, as you probably know, the rides and some of the attractions are free once you get inside, but the food is definitely not free. So my friend went to Disneyland with just some change in his pocket, and he was walking around thirsty and hungry all day long. He said it was one of the longest days of his life. But he said, you know, looking back on that experience, I realized something. There are way too many Christians who think that because salvation is a free gift of God, and it is, that it doesn't matter how you live after you get saved. They think that heaven is going to be the same for everybody, but it's not. Jesus was very clear that we are to lay up treasures in heaven. And as the verse says that I quoted a moment ago, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. How you live after you get saved does matter. It is important that you let God do his work of sanctification in your life. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 28, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. 
It goes on to say in 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3, It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. The very strong implication in that verse is that when we finally do see Jesus, all that will remain of us will be that part of us that we have allowed him to conform to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Think about that. That's a sobering thought. What if every part of your person right this moment that was not Christ-like were to suddenly vanish? All the angry part of you has vanished. All that remained was the peace. All of your selfishness was gone, and all that remained was your kindness. I'm afraid most Christians would be about the size of a mouse. And that is why God's work of sanctification is so important. But just like justification, God doesn't do his work of sanctification without your consent. God has given every believer four tools to help us in this work of sanctification. If we're employing these four tools in our lives, we're showing God that we're serious about letting him work in us. First, God has given us himself in the person of his Holy Spirit. As we walk in the Spirit and let him lead us, God makes us more like Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 8, 11, listen to this. This is a phenomenal verse. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall quicken. That means give life to your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. It says in Galatians 5, 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. God has given us his Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus. God has also given us his word, the Bible. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 16, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And in 1 Peter 2, verse 2, it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. The third tool that God has given us to help us become more like Jesus is the tool of prayer. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 says, In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It says in Hebrews 4, 16, Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The fourth tool that God has provided for us is the local New Testament church. For the last 2,000 years, Bible-believing Christians all over the world have assembled with other believers for strength and growth. God describes the power of the local church all through the New Testament. In Ephesians 4.16, he says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. 1 Timothy 3.15, That thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. All four of these wonderful tools that God has provided for us will help to make us more like Jesus Christ. God works every day to do the work of sanctification in you, to make you more like Jesus Christ. 
Sanctification is no less a work of the Spirit than justification is. The noted theologian Lewis Ferry Schaefer wrote, It's the Spirit's work to produce in the believer a life which is heavenly in character. The Anglican theologian Richard Sibbs wrote, Willful breaches in sanctification will much hinder the sense of our justification. In other words, as the Apostle Peter wrote, If you refuse to grow, you'll forget that God has saved you. Child of God, I plead with you, let God do his great work of sanctification in your life. Walk in the Spirit. Immerse yourself in his word. Fill your life with prayer. Strengthen your fellow believers in your local church and let them strengthen you. You will be forever grateful if you do. Justification is the work that God did in your life in the past. It's complete. It's forever. Sanctification is the work that God is doing in your life right now, every day, transforming you, making you more like Jesus Christ as you let him. The third part of salvation is glorification. That will happen in the future. The age that we're currently living in is called the church age. It began when the Holy Spirit descended on Christ's believers at the day of Pentecost, and it will end when the Holy Spirit is taken out of this world at the return of Jesus Christ or the resurrection. You say, wait a second, the resurrection happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose from the dead. Yes, it did, but that was only the beginning of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter of the Bible, says that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, that everyone who believes on Jesus will someday participate in the resurrection. That's what we have come to call the rapture. That will end the church age, taking the Holy Spirit out of the world. It could happen at any given moment. It'll happen without a warning, and it will completely change the dynamics of this world when every born-again Christian is removed at the same time. Listen to how the Bible describes this amazing event. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And that is when glorification takes place for all believers. Listen to how it's described in 1 Corinthians 15. We shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and when this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? That is glorification. At the resurrection, the rapture, when Jesus returns to take his people to be with him, we'll immediately lose these broken down, tired, flawed, sinful, fleshly bodies of ours and take on a resurrected body, a body like Jesus had after he rose from the dead. If you want to learn more about the new body that you'll have someday, read about the resurrected body of Jesus in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20 and 21. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21, Our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, 
according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Let me tie it all together by taking us back to 1 John. Abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. There is so much to be gained at that day of glorification by letting God do his work in us in this time of sanctification. And there's so much to be lost in that day by not allowing God to make us like Jesus Christ right now. I began the program today by saying that I'd be presenting these Bible truths to you as if you had already received Jesus Christ for yourself. But I have no doubt that there's someone listening right now who has never put their faith in Jesus. You've never called upon God to do that first work of justification. And I hope I've made this clear. Until you ask God to do his work of justification by repenting of your sins and believing on Jesus, those other great works of sanctification and glorification can never happen. Jesus gave the world a wonderful promise. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We all love that beautiful verse. But right after Jesus said that, he said this, He that believeth not is condemned already. Condemned already. The urgency of believing on Jesus cannot be overstated. You either want Jesus to save you or you don't. It's your choice. If your choice is, yes, I want him, you can take care of that right now, right there where you are. Let me walk you through it quickly. Talk to God. Say, dear God, I know I have sinned against you. I'm sorry. I plead guilty. I want to be forgiven for my sins. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he rose again from the dead. Right now, I'm receiving Jesus for myself. Jesus, come into my heart. Save my soul. Take me to heaven when I die. Help me to know you while I live. Thank you for saving me. Amen. And because you made that decision, you can trust God's promises that his work of justification for you is complete. His work of sanctification has begun and his work of glorification is guaranteed to happen for you someday. Thank you so much for tuning in today. It's been a great joy to spend this time with you. God bless you and have a great week. We're so glad that you tuned in today. We pray that the message from God's Word helps you start your week off right. If you have any questions or comments about today's program, or if you or someone you know needs prayer, please email us at forgiven at nbcdanbury.org or call the church office at 203-798-7088. 
Our church is located at 101 East Pembroke Road in Danbury. We'd love for you to worship with us Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. You'll feel right at home as we enjoy God's love together. We look forward to meeting with you again right here next Sunday morning at 7 o'clock. God bless you and have a great week.